This episode of Why I Joined is brought to you by the Family Federation for World Peace and Unification USA. Their mission is to empower people through the worldview offered by the divine principle to create God-centered families. I remember constantly throughout the day, every day I'd check my hands to see if they were shaking because they felt like they were trembling. It was actually my spirit was just waking up. Today we're joined by Andrew Love. Raised in Toronto, Canada, Andrew got into the comedy world at 18. After attending college for comedy and doing shows all around Toronto and Vancouver, he moved to Los Angeles to try his hand to show business. That's where he ended up meeting the woman who would introduce him to God and cause a massive shift in the trajectory of his life. At the age of 27, everything that Andrew believed to be true was challenged when he encountered the teaching of the unification movement. He was confronted with the proposition that all the assumptions about life that he held on to so tightly might, in fact, be wrong. Andrew lives in Colorado with his wife, Uyanga, and their three children. They have been living nomadically for about six years for pleasure and as part of Andrew's work with the international nonprofit High Noon, which helps individuals and couples build sexual integrity. I'm Sangmi Holdis. And I'm Nancy Jubb. And this is why I joined. Well, we're so excited to have you on, Andrew. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you, fine people. <laughs> I'm so worried awesome. about calling people women or ladies. Or I'm always offending somebody. So I think we can all agree on people, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Although there's probably a group out there who doesn't, but we're going to go with people. <laughs> the anti-people people. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, let's get started. Um, so Andrew, what's your spiritual background? How were you raised? Uh, raised apathetic. Uh, that's the, I think, main religion of our world these days. Um, I think, like, we went to church, kind of, when I was a little kid, but nobody believed in anything. It was just close, and it was like, uh, we lived in in the city, like in Toronto, and so there's, you know, you'll notice the old world that used to exist. There's like a church at the center of every community, and so we would go there because that's where, I guess, other people went, and you know, we went for the sandwiches, the square. I remember very there are these triangular sandwiches after. So, but no religion or anything um, whatsoever. So, and then, you know, as I grew up, just the only relationship I had with religion was making fun of it, even though I didn't really know anything about it. It's just, you know, uh, just very secular. And then uh, the only Christians I knew were the kind of crazy people outside the liquor store that were telling me I was going to hell unless I believed in Jesus. And <laughs> I was like, I don't, I don't want any part of that. You know? um, but then when I lived in California, like I lived in Santa Monica and it's a real kind of woo woo kind of place. And they had this really cool place uh, in Malibu that was close by. That was like, it was like an interfaith place and it was just free. And it was like this garden. It was created by this Yo- Yoganandi. Yoganandi, if I say his name, I'll be insulting somebody. But I know it's, <laughs> it's really long and there's many syllables and they sound like Yoganandi. Um, but I started going there and it's, it felt nice, you know? But that was it. Like, I couldn't take religion seriously. It was just too weird and impractical. 
And also it wasn't part of like the cool crowd. It wasn't like, I didn't know anybody cool that was into religion. So why would I take it seriously? So yeah, really, I it was like my world and then there's the religious world and is pretty distant. Can you talk about what your life trajectory was when you met the church? Where were you? What were your plans? What was going on in your life? Who did you meet? Yeah, I, it, things were not panning out so well because I, I bet... <laughs> I was really good at the the art of comedy, but I was really terrible at the business of it. And Hollywood just really creeped me out. I'm just a sensitive person. So it was, there's a lot of, I know what it looks like to sell your soul uh, because I saw it happen in front of my face, but I also was starting to go through the process of being willing to do kind of whatever it took to become famous. And like, Looking back, I did some really humiliating things. Like I screwed people over, you know, to uh, to to get ahead or whatever. And it it was really um, isolating, little by little. Uh, so yeah, when I when I met the movement, I uh, was in a place where nothing quite was making sense, and everything that I thought was like my destiny was like it's like I kept on getting to a certain point and then everything was falling apart time and time again I'd meet the right person and they're like yes I'm gonna back you up and then they would just end up swindling me or you know some something would happen it just things weren't clicking and uh I was also you know in a relationship at the time that I thought was the one and then that just uh, dissolved right in front of my face. And I was, and it was, it happened to be like a friend that I'd known for a really long time. Um, and it turned out that I just saw this side of humanity. I was like, good Lord. Like if somebody I thought I knew so well could act like that, then what hope do I have? So I was, I was, to be honest, like I never my whole life cared. Is there a God or not? That's not when I met this movement, it was not about that. It was much more, um, could I ever get back the purity that I had when I was a kid? Cause I was a really pure hearted kid. I was just really extremely sensitive. Like if I saw a homeless person, I'd just cry sometimes for days. Or I remember my, my family never lets me forget, but when we saw Fiddler on the roof, like I cried for like three days or something. I was like, how is this possible? <laughs> you know, but then life happened. My parents got divorced and I just became a little bit embittered. And when the, the worst it got, things got at home, the more I'd act out in school, right? And that just became this kind of reaction. So uh, I couldn't find belonging in my house and I found belonging by acting out in school. So just being a joker, et cetera, et cetera. So that just led me to this place where my value in this world was making people laugh and I wanted to make a living off of it. Um, so yeah, How was, old were was, your parents when, when they got divorced? How old were you? How old was I? Um, yeah. It was a long process. They were like separated for a long time, but it officially happened when I was in high school. Um, mm. But it was bad at home, you know, I would say middle school because that's when, so the trajectory of that was like trying to be the class clown, but also being extremely shy and introverted. So that for like sixth and seventh grade was the ugly duckling phase of, of making people laugh because there's more just humili humiliating myself and everybody being confused like, you know, are you having an identity crisis? Because you're the shy guy. <laughs> I was trying to not be the shy guy. 
But then by eighth grade, I had it really locked down. But it was a real rebellious, like make the students laugh and make the teachers suffer. By the end of high school, I had transitioned into bringing teachers into the joke. And then I became a better student. I started to get validation. Like our valedictorian told me that I was wise. And I was like, what are you talking about? And then I started to realize that you can be a good person and make people laugh. Um, Mm. It could be a good student and be a class clown. It can be both and instead of one or the other. And then I just, uh, yeah, that, that put me on a much better path because it wasn't me versus the world. It was like I could include people on the joke and humor could be something that bonds people rather than divides people. You know, when I was graduating high school, I didn't know, like I was doing comedy. I started doing second city stuff, um, but it, it, it was too big a leap of like, you're supposed to do something after high school. But then right that year, they formed the only school in the whole world, which was a, you know, a degree, you could get a degree in comedy and it started right close to my house. I actually felt weird because I realized that, you know, a lot of the comedy world is actually about self-deprecation or the deprecation of others. It wasn't win-win. So mm-hmm. um, not to go too far down that rabbit hole, but I realized that there's like within the stand-up world, it's dog eats dog because you're all alone. And it's very competitive and it's mostly mean-spirited. And one of the saddest places that I've ever found in this cosmos is in the green room of a comedy club. It's like where I just felt so depressed talking to other comedians. But then sketch comedy, there's it's kind of like a mixed bag because it's kind of competitive, but kind of you're on a team. And then improv, I found, became kind of like a first love because you, the only way you can survive is by working together as a team. So I was doing a lot of that, kind of leading up to um, yeah, meeting meeting the church. So can you walk us through who you met and how? Her name is Michael, and she's... Everybody thinks she's an old lady, not because they see her, but because they're like, who could have brought this guy in? Because, yeah, <laughs> it, it, it was not, I, I thought nobody would want me in their church. But um, yeah, she met me. I was just walking. Uh, I was in Santa Monica. I went to the beach just by myself because I was going through that thing where like nothing quite fit. And I was like, oh, maybe I can go to the beach and look at the sun, kind of like paganism, right? Like, uh Maybe the sun will tell me something. (laughs) And I was walking back. I had my bike. I remember I had my bike and I was just walking back. And this kind of young lady just jumped out of a crowd of people. It's like, hello. And I said, hey. And she's like, "Uh, you want you? She just showed me a card and is asking me questions like, you know, do you believe world peace is possible? Like, you know, these kind of questions like kind of answered. And then she's like, okay, come with me. And I was like, what, where? And she's like, to a lecture. And I said, when does the lecture start? She's like, when you get there. I was like, how is that possible? Is there somebody there? And it was all very confusing. Uh, But she took me to a video center. And then, you know, I went to it. I saw the intro. It was really cheesy. And it made me feel very uncomfortable. And I was like, it was really nice meeting you. But um, I don't think I want to, you know, like, you know, it's, you seem cool and I'm sure this is great, but like, I don't have time. And then she's just like, okay, but when are you going to come back? And I was like, uh, you know, like, I don't know. I don't want to come back. And then she, she's just like, okay. So like Tuesday. And I was like, yeah, fine. I'll come Tuesday. <laughs> I just, <laughs> she was really certain that there's something there for me. I, I think that's a, a big part of 
the idea of conviction is she was more certain that I could get something out of the experience than I was certain that I wouldn't get something out of it. I could see something in her eyes that she believed in something. I was like, and I follow that. I think, you know, that's true. She, she really believed in it. So I came back and it was that kind of on repeat where I just wouldn't want to come back. And I would, um, because the videos were not so great and they're theological and I just didn't get the relevance. And then I just, but th there was also debate. So I'd watch a video and then I'd debate with somebody and I had, because I didn't agree with a lot of the information, but they were there. There's like, you know, older Japanese men. There's a younger American guy who was really good at debating. And I just kind of needed that. I needed to, I had a lot of concepts and I was throwing them at them and they'd throw some concepts at me. And I was in a place in my life where I could, I could be made humble. Like I could say, Ooh, I don't have an answer for that. Or, Ooh, you're kind of right. And I didn't want them to be right, but it, it seemed truer than what I, what I was bringing to the table. A lot of it, but you know, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't straightforward. It wasn't just like I accepted it, but it, I was, I was resistant, but not completely shut out. Um, and so that process took, you know, a bunch of months and, um, I just started to enjoy going to this place that is like a video center. And then I was telling my roommates at the time and they were like, dude, I don't know. <laughs> I don't, cause I was trying to explain what I was learning and I was butchering it, I'm sure. And they're like, I don't know, you know, that doesn't sound like you. And I was like, I don't know, maybe that's not a bad thing, you know, but I just started opening my mind more and more and more. And then I remember that there's, distinctly like a moment it was the last 400 years that video which really talks about the um history in the last 400 years and how they parallel so many other times in history and that really somehow struck a chord and then i was like then i started to get really interested and i i, I dove deeper and deeper and deeper and um yeah and then my friends were just not they felt like because i was saying hey what do you guys think about god and they're like what are you talking about dude you never talk about this stuff and they were getting weirded out my family was getting weirded out because people don't necessarily like it when you change you know they, they they're mm -hmm. familiar with this iteration of you and they if you start changing to something that's incongruent then uh, a lot of times that's a red flag for people. There's got to be something wrong. And sometimes it is, right? Sometimes somebody's doing something self-destructive, but also sometimes it means that you're finally cleaning your life up. And, you know, so I was getting a real negative feedback loop from my environment. And at a certain point, it it, it started to feel like war where everybody was kind of attacking me and everybody's trying to tell me what to do. And I, I just honestly got to the point where I didn't know what to believe, but I felt like I want to test this out and see, see what the divine principle was and like, does it fit me? And so I just pushed everybody and everything away and I gave away all my furniture. I stopped talking to a lot of people because they were just coming at me so hard saying, you can't do this. This is wrong. And I was like, what do you mean it's wrong? Like, what? They've never acted like this in my life. I could have like gotten into cocaine. I could have done anything. And they would have been like, yeah, it's not that bad. Just a phase. But the second Religion? I started to believe, yeah, yeah. The second I got yeah. into God, people freaked out. And I had, you know, it could have been literally anything except for this. This just rubbed everybody the wrong way. So 
I again, I was in a point where it was so scary, but I I pushed everybody away and it felt terrible but liberating to start from scratch. And then, you know, I basically joined the church as a missionary, not believing in God or or divine principle, anything like that, but saying, I want to give it a shot. And like, let's go all in on this and see. So like, let's start praying. Mm. I don't know how to pray. And the first time I remember praying was with uh, Michael, who I call my spiritual mother, right? She introduced me to God and she was teaching me how to pray. And I was like, who am I talking to? She's closing, <laughs> like I'm closing my eyes. I'm like, what am I saying? Like, who who do I picture? Or like, what is this? It's Do I say it with my mouth? Or like, I just felt so awkward, but it's just a language that I didn't speak. And I got, I became progressively more familiar with it, but I really treated it like a boot camp. You know, I needed that. I needed a, a hard reset. And it's actually quite trendy now, the 75 hard, like this whole thing of re- recalibrating your body or some aspect of your life. I just did it with everything, which I don't advise for everybody all the time, but <laughs> Uh, every once in a while, you do need a hard reset to really like do an inventory of your thoughts, your feelings, like what's working, what's not. And I did that for, you know, intensively for 10 months before I even got a real clear feeling like, oh, yeah, this is this is the path I want to take for the rest of my life. Right. But I went all wow. in first. And that's something that most people don't get the opportunity to do because of life circumstance. But I, I felt like it was that important that, you know, if I'm going to be wrong, I'm going to be really wrong. But if I'm right, then this could really be the gates that open up to any possibility. And so turns out I was right. But it doesn't always feel that way, right? Because <laughs> it's not always easy, but it definitely, it led to everything that I have, my wife, my kids and everything. Yeah. I'm going to backtrack a tiny bit. And um, can you touch on some of the concepts? I mean, you said like even through that, it took you 10 months to really kind of start to get a sense of where this was all leading for you. But what were some of those concepts that were thrown at you that you felt like you needed to throw back or, you know, humble yourself about? Well, I mean, one really uh, strong feeling I was getting is, is about identity. So my identity was that I was an atheist or agnostic or whatever, right? And so to start using the word God was like painful. Mm. It was honestly is painful to say and so awkward. And it felt like it wasn't me. And then I just had to let go of like, well, what does that mean? Me? Who is this identity that I've formed? It's just like this consortium of assumptions that I have. So saying God, praying, you know, meeting people in the streets and talking about God and like, not closing myself off, but hearing what they have to say and like, and praying with people randomly or like praying, like imagine like uh, praying in a public place. That was the most excruciating thing that I, I could have imagined doing for the longest time that because it's like, oh, I'm now one of those guys. And those guys are like this, all based on concepts and assumptions. So to become that, all I could think of was the vast majority of my friends and the people that I knew growing up who would be making fun of me. And still some do. I've been attacked by a lot of my old friends because they're like, dude, you're an idiot. Like, look at you. And I'm just like, well, judge me by my life. Like, I'm happy, dude. I'm so happy with 
my wife and my kids. Like, and I, I couldn't sustain any of this without this. This allows me to have all that. So say what you will, but they were the first ones in my mind. Like the, the critics were so loud in the beginning. And I would, <laughs> uh, in the beginning, I, it sounds crazy, but hear me out. Okay. I had to sleep on a bunk bed on the top bunk because when I would wake up in the morning, the first thought in my head was, you are an absolute idiot. You just threw away your life. You threw away all your connections. You threw away your career. So it was like very first thought, the second I wake up. So I would start rolling out of bed on the second bunk of the, of the bunk bed, uh, just so that by the time I hit the ground, I would, I'd be, I'd just run and start praying and just like start working on, on this negative self-talk. Because if I didn't have that kind of adrenaline of like, I'm falling off the bunk bed, then I just lie in bed and let those thoughts attack me. So I was like, not running away from the thoughts, but running away from a place where they had the upper hand and going to the prayer room and battling it out and being like, okay, like what makes sense today and calibrating myself according to not my past, but what I'm understanding in my present. So it was, it was war. It was genuinely war because to recreate yourself is is like losing a, a layer of skin and it feels extremely... I don't know if you've ever had like an exposed nerve in your mouth, but if anything touches that, it's so sensitive. Like, I guess you've never grinded your teeth. I see, I see your reaction. <laughs> I'm a tooth, I'm a tooth grinder because I'm a warrior. I'm a tooth grinder too. Yeah. Okay. In my sleep. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> so if you do that enough, it like, it, it makes your teeth yeah. super sensitive. So that's what my soul felt like. And I, I remember constantly throughout the day, every day I'd check my hands to see if they were shaking because they felt like they were trembling. It was actually my spirit was just waking up. That's that's what I could understand. That's how I pieced this together because I, I felt like my knees were shaking, but I was steady. But it was just like I was coming out of this comatose state of having no connection with any form of spirituality or higher self. And to to come out of that was like I felt sick, like nervous every single day getting up. I had crazy nerves because it was like it, it felt like a high stakes game, you know that I was playing. What was it that made you willing um, to engage in challenging the, that identity that you had for yourself? Because I think that's, I'm really curious, like what makes somebody willing to challenge what they know, especially when, um, when doing that, exactly what happens to you it brings up all of these insecurities it brings up a lot of like um your fears and your worries and your your self-doubt comes out right i think it's honestly somewhat similar to everything that i know from the addiction world everything that i know from 12 steps and all that uh is very similar because your identity as an alcoholic or as a smoker or whatever like smokers have a, actually a really strong culture because after after meal you go with your buddies and you go have a cigarette so it's like you can't even have a meal normally for a long period of time until you kind of recondition yourself to not need a cigarette after a meal and same with certain thoughts and emotions you get addicted to having them so i i again i i attribute it to circumstance that i was just in a really humble place and if things were different and my ego is more inflated and I had more bravado, 
I would have belittled the opportunity in front of me. But I was I was a little bit wounded from life at that time. And so I was I was a little more susceptible to new ideas. So mm-hmm. yeah, I think it's, you know, everybody's a time because again, with the addiction, you can tell somebody, hey man, your your life is spiraling, but unless they feel it in their bones, they're not going to do anything about it. So uh yeah, it was circumstantial. Because even if you're born in a religion. Your, your, your faith and your identity is usually given to me. You haven't earned it. You haven't grappled with a lot of these concepts. So to even reformulate your identity within your own faith is necessary. And some religions seem to have a way of, you know, a rite of passage kind of thing, but uh, it's, it's just as hard, you know, for, for somebody born in a faith to have a genuine faith that wasn't just spoon fed to them. So I, I was I fortunate to have so deeply. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I would tough. say like apathy sometimes is just as hard to grapple with as addiction. Absolutely. You know? It's a numbing. If you think about it, all those are, are numbing agents. Anything that you're addicted to and apathy is definitely a numbing agent because you literally feel nothing. So I think we're all given opportunities. It's just whether you're able to seize it if, if the time is right. And I honestly just feel extremely blessed that I I could have that opportunity when my options were very limited because I felt like I was running towards a cliff, like things were really getting increasingly frustrating by the day. And this was an escape from that. It was more like a giant mirror that allowed me to see me myself. And that's, that was really hard to look at myself and look at all the pain that I had caused in other people and myself and to see myself. It's, it's really painful to see yourself spiritually naked um, for all your good and bad attributes. <laughs> but again, like I, I do this, I did that happen circumstantially. That was, you know, I don't know, 14 years ago, something like that. But now I, I make a habit of doing this about once a year where I will throw everything I believe under the fire and let the fat melt away because that apathy sets in or concepts set in. And um, especially in our faith, we're meant to really be like the oil that lubricates this world. And if you start finding yourself getting crusty, that crustiness comes in the form of judgment, choosing sides. The idea of like headwing ideology is really, it's the hardest thing because you're meant to be a parent that doesn't judge your children, loves equally. And that's probably the hardest thing to do. And when, <laughs> when you look at people, you want to choose sides. You want to be in a camp because it's very lonely to not be in a camp. But that's kind of what's required for us. And it's made a lot easier if you allow yourself the opportunity to do the hard work kind of once a year and do like this kind of spiritual colonic. Uh, sorry about the metaphor. But, <laughs> you know, it's that's a, a, a great cleansing. image. <laughs> It's a cleansing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think a lot of us get into this place where you look at, you know, 10 years in or something, you know, after maybe you had this, you know, big realization or something shifted in your life and you don't reevaluate it honestly up front, you know, yeah. regularly. Um, yeah, you talked about, you know, around 10 months in, something shifted for you. What was it exactly that shifted for you and that kind of set this off? So I'm extremely logical. Uh, and that 10, 10 months was me pushing myself harder than I've ever pushed myself in my life. And like, I was always the first one up. I was hanging out with a group of people who were, we we're all going after it. 
And I was the first one up and I was the last one to sleep. And I made a point of doing that because I was first one praying in the morning, last one praying, pushing myself all day because I was seeking answers. I wanted, I wanted to know. And because of that, what I was really doing was I was digging and digging and digging, making space for stuff to happen. And I had so many wild spiritual experiences uh, that helped me because if I'm just logical all the time, there's no way that I'm not the type of person like, oh, you have a better ideology. Great. Yeah. Let me adopt that. It's like, especially (laughs) nowadays, everybody has the answer, right? Everybody's a guru and something. Everybody on Instagram is a spiritual guru. So yeah, let me follow you. (laughs) It's not, it's not genuine because you just hop nothing from one to the other. Yeah. Yeah. I've taken those classes, you know, one, I mean, Nancy and I are kind of we we've done all the free, you know. Oh, you want to take this free one seminar? Oh to my like god, I organize am the ideal Instagram customer. <laughs> I buy everything off the, the yeah. Instagram ads. But you do yeah. one session, you're like, okay, that's great for that one thing and very specific thing in my life. But um, it doesn't challenge the core. It like um, it's putting lipstick on a on what what is it? <laughs> A band-aid on on (laughs) (laughs) putting a band-aid on like a gaping wound, you know? Yeah. And you're not actually addressing the core issues that, you know, are making you try to seek these like really quick solutions. And Mm -hmm. like you said, a lot of people don't create that space for themselves to have a hard reset. You know, we have this community that encourages like a 40-day spiritual retreat. Like 40 days is a long period of time. For a lot of people, I mean, 10 months is a lot, (laughs) but but just 40 days is like, see, it's like, oh yeah, you must be religious if you do that. (laughs) If you completely stop your life and go and like reset your, 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 your concepts or your, your faith. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, you know, what's interesting is the era that we're in because a lot of these things, like I was doing cold showers, right. And that seemed like this uber religious thing, but now you look at uh, you look at Wim Hof and you look at all these celebrities are doing oh, yeah. cold yeah. plunges and all that. Yeah. So it's, it. what seemed uber religious is actually, I've never believed myself to be religious, which is kind of weird because I've actually been a pastor two times. Right. Um, but I'm, I'm not religious. I just see the practical application of our faith to help us become super at being human, superhumans, Right. Um, Yeah, it's an ancient wisdom, right? I mean, you know, the fact that these traditions and these practices have carried on for like centuries, right? I think um, I was listening to a podcast with Dan Harris, uh, the 10% Happier podcast, and he was interviewing the scientist who was saying, yeah, exactly your point that they were trying, they were looking at other spiritual practices of different religions to see what's the next big thing because meditation has turned into this like huge like i mean it's an industry now right but Mm -hmm. the benefits of like taking that time and really connecting within and and holding like sacred space the science is only just starting to like scratch the surface of what the real benefits are and and like you were saying right the cold plunges and wim hof and yeah and so, well, to get, I want to speak to that point because, you know, I've been watching, I don't know if you've been seeing uh, Shia LaBeouf is now 
he's like recently converted Catholic and he's, he's going all in. You should see he's on some podcasts. Oh, I now. didn't see that. I haven't yeah, seen yeah. that. He was recently interviewed by this Catholic bishop and he goes deep about, he, he was addicted. And that was again, part of the, um, he was going to AA meetings inside of a church and then he started to hang out at the church. And so, you know, I, I, I could never have joined a pre-existing religion. I couldn't have sincerely bought into Christianity as is. I could not have become a, a Buddhist or anything like that just because it just didn't, it, it's not my native language. It's not part of my culture. It just seems like kind of like religious appropriation. Like, yeah, you know, I'm a Buddhist now. So call me, you know, uh, some some new name or something like that right i needed something more contemporary and i feel like honestly our movement bridges the gap between left and right up and down and and reverend moon talks a lot about that right the idea of um being at the nexus at the axis between vertical and horizontal and to create this you know spherical life and mm -hmm. i needed that reverence for tradition but with something contemporary and that's what I found because I don't want to change my, 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 my clothing. <laughs> I don't want to have to get a, a goofy haircut. You know, I was in LA. So like, there's, you know, a ton of, uh, Harry Krishna's and people like that who have to kind of their identity then becomes their religion. I didn't mm. want to like change my identity from a non-religious person to a religious person. I wanted to be identify as like a, a, a as healthy, happy, spiritually bright person, right? Um, and I mm -hmm. use my religion for that sake instead of becoming a religious person. Now that's my identity. And I, mm -hmm. um, that was really an important shift that there was no pre-existing movement or faith or anything that I, that I could have joined that, um, that could have provided me with that, that connection to the past and to the present and to the future all simultaneously. Because every other faith is basically waiting. It's a waiting faith. Like Christianity, you 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 know, you join and then you wait. What are you waiting for? You're waiting for Jesus. Or you you know, <laughs> you're waiting for something to happen. And this our faith is much more like, you know, things are happening. These are the last days. What are we gonna do about it? What are we gonna build now? Right? Yeah. Even the premise of Chanel Guk, the idea of are building a new world from the inside out, from our hearts out into this world. That's how it happens is the most empowering thing. But you realize if that's really going to happen, I got some cleaning to do. Can you just mention what is Chanelguk for our audience? Uh, people yeah, may not yeah. be familiar with the terminology. Sure. So some people interpret it as the kingdom of heaven on earth, but it actually, the definition means when two become one. My understanding is when there's, individuals whose ideals and reality become one that's the beginning of it and when two people become one in heart and then when you know like it spans outward like that so it's really a harmonious society it's all about harmony so harmony within the individual and then outward towards all the way to society um because you hear words like borrowed from christianity kingdom of heaven on earth it's more like you flip on a switch and then everybody's yeah. now wearing white robes all of a sudden, <laughs> right? I was yeah. always creeped out by that image of heaven. It's like, wait, do we all have to play harps and wear white? That sounds super boring. I don't <laughs> yeah. want to go there. <laughs> yeah, I've been there. I mean, that's Santa Monica, for God's sake. <laughs>
this is more practical. It's like, it's, you know, the world will transform once we ourselves transform. And so there's a yearning for that. Mm. But just going back to Instagram and all that, like it's all cheap. Um, you know how there's like cheap fashion, like H&M and all that. I think yeah. cheap spirituality is all the stuff that you get online that mm. gives you these little shifts and helps you. It's not useless, but it's not, it's like little teeny tiny microbes uh, that are part of a much bigger puzzle. And this is, uh, you know, I believe our faith, what I've, what I've found to be is like, it's giving you the whole thing and giving you the instructions, but it's up to you to actually start building it. You know, I think mm, yeah. the hard part is like, here's the instructions, here's the ideals, here's like what it's going to, you know, basically generally look like, but you actually have to build it. And then people, I, I don't think that a lot of people want to do that, to be honest. <laughs> it's a lot of work because it starts with you. Because if if, oh, if yeah. your reality is not a, a reflection of your ideals and there's a discord and discord is the opposite of harmony. So uh, mm. And then coming back to that, it's hard to be honest and to take a hard look at yourself again. <laughs> it's a vicious yeah. circle. You know, because I deal in the realm of addiction and actually a lot of people, addiction is all based on escapism and, and you can use religion to escape or you can mm. use it to go deep and to really connect with yourself. And so it's not the fault of religion it's the fault of how we use religion, just like anything. Like money is not the root of all evil. It's how evil people use money. <laughs> that's, mm, that's yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I had a crazy spiritual experience doing the Marie Kondo method and like purging all my stuff. Right. Yeah. And yeah. it was, it was so weird. Cause I was like, I'm, I'm organizing. It's not, but it like I had these epiphanies about myself and my decision-making and stuff. And so, yeah, like, I think it's a much more honest perspective of looking at like religion is there to show you the way it's not going to do the work for you. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's really important because, okay, there's two things in that. One is like, I, we all need accountability. And when you're part of a community and our community is extremely special because I've, traveled extensively specifically to places that are movement like in our churches and the houses of families around our church and i've been invited into people's homes and treated like they're like i came out of them like i'm their son <laughs> after meeting them for 30 seconds just because of the fact that somebody vouched for me and and they, they, those people got you know married the blessed <laughs> you know, together. And like, because of this connection, like I'm now their son, like the world over any culture doesn't even matter. And that mm -hmm. accountability means that in a very practical way, my family um, is contributing to that or is hindering that collective experience to the extent that we had, like, we went away to Costa Rica in, in the summer for two months and my wife just met another Mongolian who's living in Japan. She has a Japanese husband, three kids, and they really wanted to learn English. And my wife was like, why don't you just come and live in our house and have our car? And she's like, you can do that? I'm like, yeah. So we left our life. They lived our life. And I saw pictures of them and they, they were wearing my hat. Like the dad was wearing my hat. Like I was not the least bit uncomfortable or awkward. I was like, I was genuinely happy. Like, oh, I'm glad he was Colorado sun's, you know, pretty bright. So, <laughs> and we'd never met them. 
we never physically met them at all. And I'd never spoke to them because I don't speak uh, Mongolian or Japanese, but they, we met them when they came to our house to receive our keys. And then we left that same day to leave the country. And we just entrusted to them. And that's because people have done that to me the world over. So that's one mm -hmm. part of it is like to be a part of the collective and to work out your ideals, because if you drift too far, it becomes apparent that either you're disconnected from the community because the community is not working or because there's something about your life that's not working. And that keeps you in line with your ideals. That's, mm. uh, it's a lifesaver because I could see, honestly speaking, my wife and I have gotten to the point where like, I could not love her anymore. Like I was just out of love. We were just fighting for too prolonged a period about the same stuff. And I was like, I was out of juice. And if it was up to us, and us alone, I think I would have ended the marriage at that point, to be honest. And that was, I think, three and a half years ago. But it was the fact that my marriage isn't about me. It's about my kids. It's about my wife. It's about my wife's parents who raised her. It's about all the people that we know that are relying on us. And because of that, when I had nothing left to give, I still had something that wasn't mine. It was this. It was from God. I felt like I could pray and receive love that was not in my heart. I could get cosmic love, but I also had a very practical use of our community at that time that I need to rise up, not out of guilt, not out of pretending that things are okay when they're not, but out of the fact that we're one cell in this body. And if we take care of ourselves and the body is healthier and that helped us get through some dark days and we, we've been so healthy ever since, but it was honestly our wow. affiliation with the collective whole that again, you can, you can misconstrue that and say like, Oh, we're just, you know, all pretending or oh, we're all together out of force or like that. And that's <laughs> one, I'm sure there are people that do that, but what I'm saying is the opposite, which is, it, it forces me in a sense to be my best so that I can, so that everybody else can be healthier and happier. And I think that's our ideals fleshed out in a very practical way. And it saved, it saved our marriage, to be honest. That's amazing. Yeah. I'm also curious. Um, you talk a lot about your work uh, with addiction and I guess that relates to your work right now with the nonprofit high noon and creating, you know, healthy relationships and building sexual integrity. I mean, I can see some parallels in, in what you've talked about, um, especially because I'm a huge Brene Brown fan. Like, sorry, guys, yeah. everyone who's listening, like, <laughs> I will mention her name many, many times because I love her. But like, um, yeah, like in understanding the self and stuff and, and self-awareness, I'm curious, is your work right now in addiction behaviors how does that inform your own spiritual journey and where you are right now spiritually too? Uh, yeah, it's great question. And it's, that's what saves us in the end is, is saving other people continually. It keeps us fresh. I honestly feel like, you know, as a movement, we're very evangelical because we're asked to apostolize to, you know, to, we call it witnessing, right. But like to spread the word and to invite people to our events and stuff more than anything, that's for us. Because you have to figure, well, why would somebody come to this event? Because if you're not sincere, nobody's going to want to come to your thing, right? They won't see it in your eyes. So then you have to think yeah. about, well, do I want to go? Or like, do I still believe in this stuff? Or And so when you take care of people, a lot of times the wisdom that comes to you isn't your own. And you can feel that. You can sense that like, oh, that was a great idea. And that was just passed through me. <laughs> 
but the other half is in in taking care of people you are also taking care of yourself and you're keeping yourself fresh because when you offer that wisdom um you're saying it and if you have the humility to hear yourself speak you can say oh i should actually do that myself right so you're in a sense being judged by your own words or judges now has a lot of negative connotations but in in the religious sense where you're kind of measuring your your own words against your own actions by giving other people advice for their own life um yeah it, it honestly saved my my spiritual life many times over and i i'm going to do something like this till uh till i'm dead and like because <laughs> it keeps me alive and it keeps me fresh and when you give life you gain life and that's a very biblical term but in a practical way it's like i i've told hainun that i'm not definitely not going to work for them forever i see my time winding down a bit but um i will volunteer for hainun for the rest of my life because um and, and in some way shape or form because you see people like I don't know if anybody listening has met, ever met Dr. Tyler Hendricks but like he's probably in his late 60s and he's so young at heart and like I shared a room with him one time we were at an event uh and I saw him do his stretches and he's so physically limber and mentally limber and he's just because he's always actively engaged in like recreating himself daily and you know and that keeps you fresh and it it also Honestly there's a lot of trappings in religion that if if you if you anything that's not growing is dying but that's your mind yes. it's your heart and your spirit and it's your body it's all of the aforementioned so yeah i i have to keep giving um because when i isolate myself too much uh yeah you just get stuck in your head and you start to it's me versus them again and like everybody's wrong mm-hmm. i'm so smart or whatever yeah. whatever your you know poison is my poison is arrogance and judgment. <laughs> oh, me and it's too. hard to be. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Holler. <laughs> we should hang around each other and judge each other sometime. Yes. Totally. Great. <laughs> yeah. I mean another I was what came up while you're talking was like, you know, everybody's looking for a cure to anxiety, to loneliness, to disconnection, you know? Yeah. And, you know, the, the common one is like, Oh, just get off your phone, go outside, you know, <laughs> again, like all focused on the self, you being alone when a very simple answer is be around people who give you life. Yeah. I guess what keeps you humble then if like, you know, if your, your things are like judging and, and arrogance, which I struggle with too. And I love another reason I love Brene is because she's like, you know, when you start judging people, it's a red flag for like, where are my unmet needs and where am I not drawing boundaries to honor myself? Right. And a lot of religion is about like find discovering the divinity within each of us that we can honor it in in people, right? So like, what do you do when you find yourself in that headspace? Like, what's something that you do to kind of reset? Yeah. So there's two words, both in Korean, and I can, tr- I can translate my version of it. But one is um, Jansung, the other one is Shimjung. And that is, that's, that's everything to me in terms of our faith. One is the vertical, and it's creating cosmic radiant love in your heart by 
through connecting with the divine, through connecting with God, right? And then using that, whatever whatever you're getting, the inspiration, all that, to then do the, the shimjung part, which is to give love without, without you know, limits. So like so to plug in and then to, to give. And like in that process, um, I remember Reverend was saying very clearly in an old talk that the place you want to be in life is right at the axis between vertical and horizontal because that's where everything mm. flows perfectly. And that's when you're plugged in. So it's a combination of, oh, if I'm stressed out and I'm judging people, I'm probably not breathing enough. I'm probably not taking care of my myself. I'm probably not praying enough. I'm probably not reading enough word. And I'm also probably not having enough conversations with a diverse group of people because we isolate mm-hmm. ourselves. We have the same conversation with the same people. I should have a sometimes a difficult conversation or I should reach out to this person. And when you start to open those doors, you go to the grocery store and you'll look at the cashier and you'll be a completely different person because now you're open. Typically, when you're just judging everybody, you go and you're like, yeah, just give me my stuff and shut up. Like, that's what you're thinking, (laughs) right? Right. You're giving out out that vibe because you're closed. Your Mm -hmm, spirit is closed. Your heart is closed. And you just walk around completely detached. So that's my understanding of spirituality is when you're disconnected spiritually, then you're disconnected from everything. From nature, you're just like, oh, yeah, that's a tree. Oh, yeah, that's a person. From everything. But when you're connected... you know, to God and spiritually, then you genuinely feel empathy for people. You feel Mm -hmm. connected to the things that are alive in this world. So yeah, it's not one thing, but it's usually a combination of, okay, I got to, first of all, ease my body through some sort of breath work. And then I need to, you know, pray or meditate depending on time of day or situation. And then I need to talk to people. So that's a vertical. And then I need to go talk to people. And sometimes, yeah, you need an uncle figure or an aunt figure who's just like, ha, 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 you're being an idiot. And you just kind of need that. Right? I can testify I to that. that. I have an auntie yeah. in my life who's like, nope, you're wrong. That's you. That's, or not, <laughs> you know, like that's yeah. your concept. You need to work yeah. on that. It's not the other person's fault. Sit with that for the week. We'll talk it, you know, we'll talk again. And that's them punching yeah. your ego and your ego needs yeah. it desperately. So. Yeah, it's, it, you know, you'll find your own cocktail of what you need, but it's usually, it's a combination of something or some things vertically and then something or some things horizontally. That really is like the, the antidote because you're just connected. You're disconnected. You are just disconnected. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering what you have to say about bridging those, I guess, the realizations and the experience you have had like, how do you translate to that to the people you love in your life who don't agree with you and who can't listen to it? How do you come back together in some way? What's your common base? And what does that feel like mm, for you? That's a good one. Yeah. There's a lot there, you know, like um, in my adult life, I've only ever had one best, best friend where like I'm deeply in love with them and vice versa. That wasn't born out of circumstance. So most people, their best friends are like from childhood because they're a neighbor or schoolmate or whatever. But as an adult, it's hard to find those kindred spirits. But I found one when I moved to LA and we bonded first over Pi. And then we just, it went from there and we ended up living together. Um, He's my roommate, best friend, loved him to death. But 
he hasn't spoken to me since I joined. And that was just a part of the sacrifice that I had to make. And like, you know, he, he's one of those believers that I was, I was doing something very wrong with my life. And it was either him or follow that deep part of me that's, uh, that says, no, this is right. And that's really, that's like putting your mind in a vice and squeezing it. And there's no, you have to lose one or the other. And I lost him and um, I've reached out to him since and he just doesn't return my, my calls. And again, I'd love to have him in my life and maybe one day we can find a, a, a way to, to reconcile, but I wouldn't, I, I, it was absolutely worth it. Right. Whereas like I had another best friend at that time it was kind of like a father figure. He was a comedian, old school comedian. If you ever look look him up uh, on YouTube, you see some old clips. He's he's like genuinely he was on the you know um, the Late Show uh, with uh, Johnny Carson and that. He's like an old school comic. His name is Max Alexander, and he saved physically saved my life when I moved to LA. Um, I had I had a, the night that I arrived, I had a pain in my stomach, and I was like, oh my god, it was the Chinese food that I had. Turned out it was it was appendicitis. <laughs> Oh and my God. he got me to the hospital just in time. They op- The second they felt my appendix, they're like, get him to the operating table. They got it out just in time. And I could have easily died. And he, so he saved my life. And he, But he's just like a great dude. And he never judged me. Like after I went through, you know, I, I pushed everybody away. He lived in New York. And when I moved to New York, he's like, hey, let's hang out. I was like, you're not angry? You know, I was kind of surprised. And he's like, I'll never judge you. I love you. And I was like, good God. Mm. So he showed, you know, in a sense, when you do something drastic, you see people's true colors and you actually see that some people you might hold near and dear and think that they are something that might not actually be that. Um, so, you know, and I have, I have some family definitely who kind of refuse to talk to me and who won't talk about this. And if they'll see me because they're Canadian, they'll be polite, uh, but they, <laughs> they won't <laughs> tell me what's behind that, you know, forced smile. And that's fine because I don't, at a certain point, you have to, I, I stopped trying to explain myself to everybody and be like, if you're interested, I'm willing to talk to anybody about anything, especially because of my work with High Noon. I'll talk about the most gruesome details of my life if you can handle it. But if, if, if you don't want to hear and if you don't, if you just want to judge me from afar, I'll, I'll do you the honor of stop judging you for judging me. Um, because I don't want that burden. So yeah, there's definitely some people um, who are able to come around and my parents were both impacted very differently, um, but they've both come to like, they love my wife so much. And also, as I'm sure Nancy, you know, and um, when you have kids, your parents will fly to Mars to see your kids, you know, they'll, they'll put aside any differences for those kids. So it was a great filtration system. And, you know, I, I did it, I didn't do it in the best way. I didn't know how to explain to people well what I was going through because it was so, it was the first time I'd ever been through it. So I scared a lot of people by, it was my fault because I, the way that I was describing it made no sense to them. And I, and I couldn't make it make sense to them because it barely made any sense to me. But um, yeah, I, I don't have any regrets at all. Um but it was, it was, you know, I definitely lost some good folks in that. 
So what do faith, and this is, you know, you've been in this movement for 14 years, you kind mm-hmm. of, you started from scratch and, you know, you've had this journey um, meeting your wife and having kids. What does faith and spirituality look like for you now? What keeps you inspired? What do you read and consume to keep your faith fresh? Great question. Or who do you so, engage with? It can also be who do I know, people. <laughs> so, yeah, like I said, giving is... Uh, to me, it's it's a non-negotiable part of any faith. It has to be made substance. Otherwise, it's not a faith. It's a theory. Um, so I think the most practical way is through some form of volunteering. And I've found, like, I always give extra with high noon, um, more than just a job. It feels like a mission. So like sacrificing pay because it's a nonprofit. <laughs> oh, Nancy I, and I can I, relate. We work yeah, for yeah, a religious nonprofit. To be honest, yeah, there you go. So I've since joining the faith, I've only ever worked in ministry or or nonprofit priority. So volunteering, I would say. And I have always maintained my faith. I feel pretty unwavering because. I etched it into my bones because I fought for every single belief that I had. And I questioned it a billion times over. So nothing, I feel like there were no rounded corners when I was developing my faith. I really went deep and I really asked tough questions, but I will still question what I remember to be my faith. So it's still fresh annually. Um, But, you know, I, uh, when I, we were having our third son, so we have three three boys, and our last one came. He just had his fourth birthday two days ago. And so Aww. four and a half years ago when he was coming into this world, it was too much, and I just wasn't ready for it because I was traveling for work. My wife was dealing – she had a lot of stuff going on. We had money stuff. We had all sorts of stuff, and I was just overwhelmed. And that's when I started to implement uh, meditation as a priority. And so I got really into a certain type of meditation that uh, morning and night, uh, because I was without that, prior to that, I was waking up every single night at 3 a.m. with heart palpitations. And I was, and I have multiple men in my family who died of heart-related issues, heart attacks and whatnot. Um, and I know that that because I'm sensitive and because I'm a worry wart, that's, I could feel like, oh, this is my demise. And if I don't fix this now, I'm dead. You know, I can, I can feel it. Um, because when you, when you're stuck in that, how do you cope with it? Well, you're super tired. So you just start drinking more coffee, then it's harder to sleep. (laughs) Then you need more coffee and then you just, Mm -hmm. it spirals quickly. Right. So all the quick uh, fixes, yeah, heart races, all of that. Yeah. Brutal. So I I really needed to implement meditation. Um, And I, you know, I looked around for a lot, but I settled on one that I've been using for the past four plus years. Um, And that's really calmed me down. Um, So as I see it very separate from prayer, prayer is much more of a conversation. It's, you know, there's one song where it talks about um, it connects your heart to heaven, you know? And so that for me is like heaven time. Um, so th- those things, and, you know, obviously reading, you know, to be honest, reading the word lately has not, it's, it's not been giving me anything. And I'm looking at that. I I'm in a place now where I don't judge myself, but I'm looking at that. I'm like, why is that? And what can I do about that? Cause I remember 
like soaking in the word and 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 having it feel like a bath for my soul and now it's just kind of like words and i'm like what is this what what's going on so uh that hasn't been helping i think part of it is just because i think we're so used to getting everything from our phones so looking at a book <laughs> yeah. looking at a physical book yeah. and words it's like what is this thing it's not moving you know? <laughs> also i have to choose the passage it doesn't just come to me as like a little quip you yes know? yeah oh yeah, yeah. where's yeah. my dopamine hit <laughs> yeah exactly so but actually to be honest i've i started doing intermittent fasting and that seems to help to just having uh conditions that's what i'm going to end on i love doing conditions which are like to me i was doing 40 day conditions a condition is like a time frame when you do certain things you know sequentially or every single day for for for, for how a period of time to get an answer or to change some aspect of your life and i was doing those for years and then i stopped and about a year ago, I started just loving 21-day conditions because to me, 21 days is this magical number where you can do so much in 21 days, but you can also see how weak you are in terms of your integrity <laughs> or in terms of like, you're so fired up on day three and then day nine, you're like, yeah. ah, this is dumb, yeah. right? So yeah. conditions are totally. more, I see them as a, a litmus test. For like, how much do I really care about this thing that I'm chasing after? And do I really want an answer? Mm. And like, what am I willing to sacrifice in order to get this thing? And so I feel like I've always, I've been on conditions. And recently I, I set a year-long condition made up of 12, 21-day conditions. Um, and that's been wow. really wrong. Yeah. Because it's like, if you want some really big things to happen in your life, it's kind of too much to stick with for most people unless you're like this you know you know 0.01 percent of society who are just crazy um but for the rest of us it's helpful to take chunks out of it take bites out of this big thing and then eventually it's you can get a lot further than you think but that that's how i do it that's super helpful. I think that's a healthy and refreshing way to look at um, what we call conditions or like a spiritual, a prolonged spiritual or it doesn't have to be spiritual practice, but to um, it's, it's like a mini reset. But I like, I like that point about it being a litmus test. Like how much do I really care about this? And even if you struggle with the condition that you set, like let's say you, you bow, you know, I don't know, a few times, you know, every day uh, for 21 days, but the thing you're thinking about and mulling over, you know, comes to you over and over again is like, no, that still matters to me. And it's not necessarily that these bows are going to change, you know, where I'm at with it. Mm -hmm. But it's also a moment of reflection, I think. You know, we we so rarely take that. Um, someone once told me, if you can't think about, like, if you can't come up with a solution in your brain, move, move your body, just do something to yeah. kind of change up the spirit, change up your, you know. And it's exciting too, because you realize that most of our life is spent in this very blase realm of expecting repetition that tomorrow is going to be like yesterday. And it's this continuum of kind of the milieu, like this, this just being in the middle and nothing good is there. Chasing so, comfort. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Or yeah, the sustenance, sustaining existence. And when you do a condition and you really admit 
to yourself what you actually genuinely want and you put it out into words and it could be an answer to a question that you have. It could be, you know, it could be a multitude of things, but when you actually put it on the line and do it, let's say it doesn't work the first 21 days. If you try it again, like the craziest stuff happens and you realize how exciting life can be and how small you've been playing it. Because the scariest thing is when you're touched really by the the grandeur of God. It's so, it used to frighten the crap out of me to look up into the night sky before I started to understand God more because it just was so big and so intimidating. The open sky and the open sea were the scariest places for me because it's just such a lonely feeling. But when you when you like allow yourself to go into that unknown and you put yourself out there, you're touched by how big God is and how small God is. And it's simultaneously humbling by how God, how big God is and how big this whole thing is, how fragile everything is in life, but also how comforting it is to know how special you are in and amidst that grandeur that you actually are an extremely loved and special. So the the kind of dichotomy actually works well together because yes, we're a part of something massive. This the 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 cosmos the, or the physical universe is constantly expanding. I'm guessing the spirit world is the same because that's just the nature of God is continual expansion. So so our minds can't fathom that. But yet at the same time we're one very specific coordinate in this cosmos. And that both are beautiful um, is, is you can't fit that in your head. You can only fit that into an experience. And that, that happens when you go after something important um, because I've had so many, I'm sure you have too, like along your spiritual journey where you're just brought to your knees by the beauty of it all, this whole thing that we're blind to because we're chasing after the stupidest stuff day to day. We're check checklists yeah. of nothing useless crap. And we never get around to that, those moments because we don't make space for it. So to me, conditions are just making space. Like you're digging and you're digging and you're digging for something to eventually come in. And it's never what you expect or when you expect, but it's those things that (laughs) spark, they spark your spirit. And you're like, that's what being alive feels like. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like the theme of, of everything that you've been sharing about your spiritual journey has really just been like, challenge yourself you know, like challenge yourself and be open and be willing to be humbled by the experience, right? Like, you know, talking about like the 21 day conditions and stuff. It's like, we all have this idea where we're like, I'm going to get up every morning at like 5am and I'm going (laughs) to pray and it'll be amazing because I'm going to live my best life and be my best self. Right. And then like day three hits and it's like, oh my God, like, I can't like my kid is sick and waking me up, you know, through the night. Do I really want to get up at five? Like, how bad do I, yeah. Like how bad do I really want this? Like, am I, am I gonna like really, you know, and it's, it's not just the condition itself. I feel like it's also like honoring, honoring that commitment to yourself too. Mm -hmm. Right. Like you're, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not so much doing the commit, the, the condition for, somebody else or you know and there are people who do that and that's beautiful as well but I think also like the whole the whole challenge of the condition itself is really like yeah the commitment to yourself and honoring yourself and honoring 
and going deep within, right? Yeah, it's about getting beyond yourself so that you can reflect something truly divine, something godly. Like that's that's our best. Like as a public speaker, again, in the early days, it was all about ego. And like, if I did well, it's because I'm great. And if I did badly, mm-hmm. I'd be so depressed because I'm a terrible person. But now when I, when, when people really resonate with what I'm saying, all I can feel is like, I'm, I'm just getting out of the way and I'm letting God, or not God, because that sounds really arrogant, right? But like, I'm letting inspiration flow. And that's like, uh, it's a completely different feeling. You're just refracting God's beauty. And so that's, the condition is the same way. It's like you're digging past all your limitations to get beyond yourself because you're the only person limiting God's ability to work through you. So when you get past those limitations, then God can have fun with you and do cool things through you <laughs> and speak yeah, to you finally. Yeah. You can have a somewhat empty mind so God can finally tell you what you've been asking for. But you were like, what, what's the answer? What's the answer? What's the answer? What's the answer? And he's like, I never <laughs> shut up long enough to hear the answer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I feel that really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that image of like digging out space, leaving a little well for, for God to fill up. Yeah, I came to this point, um, you know, on my spiritual journey where I literally said, out loud, I don't feel like I can stretch anymore. I feel like I have completely given everything I can and there's nothing more to give. And if I if I go any further, I will break. Like yeah. an old rubber band, you know, that can't that has no elasticity. And what came to and eventually, I mean it wasn't right away, but um eventually it was like, oh, that's where God fills in. <laughs> that's where God comes in and is able to stretch for you. Because you don't have the capacity, you know. And yeah, it was like, okay, I made space around myself a little bit, you know. Or what do I have to humble or question or, you know. Yeah, uh, I think giving that space and allowing space around you for God to work. Yeah. Yeah. The idea of surrender is a beautiful concept. And uh, it's really hard. So hard. So challenging. So hard, yeah. <laughs> but that's the space that's occupying your mind, right? The concepts to surrender those concepts to to be able to really experience something new. Um, to be honest, our movement's dealing with that a lot these days because the idea of having uh, a female half of a couple be in charge is a concept that most people don't have space for because it's so new. Uh, mm-hmm. But those those the people that were willing to kind of go through that uh, labor of giving birth to a new experience is uh, they're reaping the rewards of seeing this is kind of cool. It's new and it doesn't make sense. And it's completely different from what was, but it's making room for this entirely new paradigm. So those, those people who do that work reap all the rewards and the other people, you can tell they just get angry and angry. Their world becomes smaller and smaller because there's, mm. their concepts become harder and harder to hold on to. So they get mm-hmm. their lives are smaller. Their conversations are smaller. They become more embittered and they're just uh, more toxic. It just becomes more obvious, right? Who's, who's still alive? My wife always talks about this. Spiritually alive. She just <laughs> talks about being, being awake and being alive. And it's not hard to tell who you, when you communicate with somebody, are you awake or are you not? Um, doesn't take much, yeah. right? 
this has been such a great such a great conversation and i feel so honored that you were willing to share your spiritual journey with with us it's my pleasure thank you guys for inviting me and uh yeah that's something that i learned you also have to balance it with reality but like whenever somebody asks you just say yes you know if it's for a cause that you believe in like don't question it so yeah my pleasure thank you for listening to this episode of why i joined Make sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're interested to learn more about the Divine Principle Worldview, you can visit our website at www.familyfed.org.